Hi, everyone. This is Chris Lynn with the Theotech Podcast. I'm really excited today to be joined by Pastor Todd Blackhurst of Taichung International Fellowship in Taiwan. And uh, Pastor Todd, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Chris. It's really good to be on the program and to have this opportunity to talk with you. Uh, pastor Todd, could you tell us more about uh, how you got called to be a pastor for Taichung? Sure. Well, originally, I and my family, we moved to Taiwan, to Taichung specifically, to be missionaries. And we were working alongside of the local uh, Baptist church. Really, it's Taichung's first Baptist church. And in that process, uh, the city is a pretty large city. It's about 2.8 million people. I guess it depends on uh, where you live, if you consider that large or not. It's a big city. It's spread out a lot of places. and uh, there's a good number of expats and foreigners here. And as I was learning Chinese, um, I realized that there were, um, a lot of people who were having trouble getting around in the culture. So I started a, a, a blog actually, uh, basically just a small website to help people process. If you lived here and you didn't speak Chinese, how could you get around in the, in the culture? Mm-hmm. Through that process, I met a lot of other expats, a lot of people who lived here from different countries and cultures who were either working, studying, here with their families on assignment, just various different reasons. And some of them were Christians, some of them were not, but they were not going to learn Chinese other than just a very basic level. So it was really hard for them to find or join a church uh, to participate in. Mm. So I and one of my friends, uh, that I'd gotten to know thought, well, we could start something. We actually didn't plan to start a church. We, we, we originally were just going to have a worship service, uh, just a simple, you know, uh, he was going to lead the music and I was going to preach. I have some background in my, uh, back in the States of preaching and I love to do that. And we thought we'll just gather people together and that'll be it. We'll just get together once a week, kind of have, uh, a nice service. Some people go eat together afterwards. And we started with about 20 uh, people. And over the past three years, that 20 people has grown to close to 200 people. Wow. And so um, we have a church now. And it's um, so it was a little bit unexpected. But actually, it's been one of the best things that's ever happened to me. That's an incredible growth rate 10x in three years. Uh, yeah, it's pretty, uh, it, it has to, it can only be explained by God's favor and grace. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned that there are even non-Christians who only spoke English, uh, who wanted to find a church. Like what's the story there? Well, I think when you move abroad, um, especially to a culture where you're really an outsider, mm. um, this is nothing against, uh, the culture that I live in, but it, it is pretty much a. Uh, it's a one people culture. Taiwan is all Taiwanese people. Mm-hmm. And so if you're from any other culture, be that African, South American, the Western cultures, even some of the other Asian cultures, you are considered an outsider. Even in Chinese, you're called a foreigner. You're called an outsider. Mm. So that something happens to you after you live here for very long when you're constantly referred to and thought of as an outsider. And I think for a lot of people that brings up spiritual issues. Mm. And so a couple of things happen. Either you start looking for some answers to the questions maybe that have been hiding in your, in your life, 
or you're just looking for community. You're alone. And mm-hmm. so the church becomes a place where people can find that. And what makes it uh, unique? Because you said that um, all these different expatriates, I suppose, uh, they all come together to Taichung International Fellowship because of that common experience and also because of the language uh, that they can understand. Yeah. So I, I would say there's a couple of unique things about our, our fellowship, uh, our church. One is we do share a common language. So we've chosen not to be a, uh, a translated service in the sense that we don't, we don't use a bilingual format where, you know, I'll preach uh, a paragraph or a sentence and then immediately it's translated live. Mm-hmm. I preach all in English. The service is all in English. And so our common language in the worship service is English. Mm. So um, I think that's been very helpful for a lot of people because what we've, this is my personal opinion, but I think I I would say it's probably true for a lot of people. When you're in a bilingual environment, um, a couple of things happen. If you are truly bilingual, so say you speak both here, both Mandarin and English, And you're listening to a translated presentation like that, regardless of if it's a sermon or a lecture or whatever. One thing that's going on in your brain is you're always evaluating the translation. Mm. You're thinking, now, why did they say it that way? Or, wow, that's cool. That's a cool way to say that. So actually, you're not really fully paying attention to what the speaker's saying. So mm-hmm. for me, I, I, I attended a few bilingual uh, sermons and, and places, and I just, I could never focus. I was like, gosh, I'm not really even listening to the sermon because I'm constantly evaluating the translator. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And then I think the other thing that happens to people is if you're not bilingual, then you're constantly frustrated because half of the time you don't understand what's being said. And you can't ever gain a full sequence of thought as you're listening to the message. And this is specifically related to the sermon. Yeah. And I think that a preaching environment, a sermon, is particularly unique. And, you know, a lecture, that's one thing. But a message, the message of the gospel in particular, is, is meant to be delivered in a whole format. And that doesn't mean there aren't situations where you have to translate. Listen, on special days like Easter and Christmas, we do a Mm. bilingual service because we want to reach the most people with the message. Mm. But in general, our services are all English. And from the beginning, however, we realized there were a number of people in our worship service who came who were in various stages of understanding English fully, Mm. mostly Mandarin speakers. And so we began to take the sermon and translate that into a a written form that we handed out. So we made sure that whether or not their listening ability was up to a native speaker level or not, they could still get the the message of the sermon completely. Mm-hmm. So those Mandarin speakers, uh, why did they prefer coming to the English service instead of a Mandarin worship service somewhere else? I think there's a couple of reasons. Um, the primary reason that we found is those people are. Um, they have found themselves at some point in their life in a, an environment other than a Mandarin church. So uh, they could have 
gone to study abroad and maybe come to faith in another environment, either a Western environment or just not a, a Chinese, a, mm-hmm. a Taiwanese environment. And they prefer maybe the more open style of worship. And I, I don't prefer to use that word, but basically that's what it is mm. uh, that we have. There is a big difference, I think, in potentially the two forms of, of worship services. Is one basically very scripted, like a high liturgy? Or what do you mean by open? I, th- I think... Um, you know, language is very important. You work with language all the time. So the mm-hmm. way you say things, how you say things, um, every language has a unique uh, way of communicating information. Yeah. The English language um, is is unique in communicating spiritual information and also allowing people to relate to each other. So let me give you an example. In, in Mandarin, in uh, and for those listeners who are unfamiliar with Asian culture, when you speak Chinese, you are really required to always address people by their title. So here in Taiwan, if if people are if if I'm speaking with people in Mandarin, I am always addressed as pastor. I'm never mm. taught, and that creates a hierarchy in our relationship. Which you know, if I meet a doctor, I have to call that person doctor. I, mm-hmm. I'm not allowed to call that person by their name unless they maybe give me permission to do so. Mm-hmm. Whereas in English, what's funny is in the same conversation, if we switch to English, we're immediately on a first name basis. Mm. So for, I think for a lot of people, once they experience that, they, it, it actually communicates something of the gospel to them that we are all equal. We're all brought to the same level playing field. Uh, under Christ, in the we're in the same family. Nobody's the dad; only only God is the father, and all the rest of us are just brothers and sisters. So that's one piece of it. I think there's a a, lar- a large group of our Mandarin speakers come from that. They've experienced that unique sense of family, and that's not to say that Taiwanese churches or, or Chinese churches don't have that. It's just different. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's different. not neither one is right or wrong. And they get to they get to choose what they prefer. And it sounds as if, in some ways, the hierarchical language uh, could also have its own benefits in with regard to worship and reverence towards God and um, the ways that we address, you know, people that are older than us and younger than us. There may be aspects of the gospel that we experience differently when we use that kind of language. Of course, I actually really enjoy reading the scriptures in Chinese because I see things that sometimes I don't see in English. Mm-hmm. Maybe you have an example you could share. Oh gosh! I wish you wouldn't have asked me right off the top. Of your head. <laughs> uh, let, me, let me think on that. Maybe I'll pull one up while we're still while we're talking. Okay. Let me finish the answer to that question. The other thing is, we do have people who come that are interested. They're not Christians. They're not even really thinking spiritually, but they come. Maybe maybe they hear that there's this group of foreigners who are meeting together. Uh, maybe they hear that there's an opportunity to practice English. This mm-hmm. is the smaller percentage of uh, Taiwanese people who come. Mm-hmm. But when they show up, what they experience is this unique blend of you know 15 to 20 different cultures from around mm-hmm. the world. 
And they look at that and they come out of a culture where it's really a monoculture. Everybody is Taiwanese. Mm. And they walk into this place where you've got German people and French people and African people and Western people and South Asian people all worshiping together and talking and laughing and loving each other and going to eat together. And they go, what is this? Mm. And they want to be a part of that. So I, I think that's what happens to a lot of people as well. That's amazing. And that in some ways that is an example of the community being a witness for the gospel. Absolutely. Yeah. Because that kind of diversity is so rare in a monoculture. And I'm, I would ask, like, how is it possible? What's actually bringing these people voluntarily together? Yes, that is what they start to ask is, well, how is this possible? And the answer is the gospel. That's the only reason. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, tell us more, because I, I actually don't really remember the story of how did you discover Spiffio, uh, our software for translation? Yeah, so this is a great story. So we, from the beginning, like I said, we have been translating our, our sermons into um, Chinese or into Mandarin Chinese. And we have this amazing group of very gifted translators. So a couple of them are professional translators in their careers. Mm. And then a couple of them just have the skills to do it. So every week I'll generate my sermon notes, which is uh, pretty much the script of what I'm going to say. Although they will tell me, I, I always add more when I'm preaching. <laughs> but then they'll take that and then translate that into pretty much a word for word translation, which then gets printed and handed out. Mm -hmm. Then somewhere along the way, we started producing actually like a Google document that we could share mm. with our congregation. So we tried to do it both digitally and a printed thing. Mm -hmm. And as you know, translation work is actually quite difficult. I mean, we, we've grown and I've grown in my ability to kind of remove a lot of the Western cultural references. And we have to because we've got so many different cultures, you know, we have to be very precise in our language. Mm -hmm. um, but it's still, it's still challenging. But these people do such a great job. We now have coming some pockets of other languages. So we have a group of Mongolian uh, mm -hmm. people who started coming to church, and they actually speak English pretty well. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them better than others. But they don't speak Chinese. They've, they come to Taiwan to study primarily at universities here that have some English programs. Okay. We have a group of Indonesian people who are now coming to work, worship with us. And again, the language uh, level varies by degree. So in talking with our translation team, we were concerned, well, we're only doing Mandarin. What can we do for them mm. that would be helpful to them? But also, how can we make uh, take a little bit of the weight off our translation team, because honestly, they're all volunteers. They all have full-time wow. job. Wow. And so, yeah, you can imagine every week getting a six-page uh, sermon and having to generate that. It's, it's a lot of work. Are they spending like six hours or more like 12 hours to do that work, you think? I would say they're probably spending five to six hours. Okay. And usually we have two people do it every week. So they were dividing the sermon in half. Mm. And there's an editor who would come along behind that and just make sure that it flowed smoothly. So it really three people every week are involved. Wow. In that's a, that's a lot. It's amazing. I mean, when I, I, I kind of get emotional just thinking about the, the kindness of the 
the people who serve at our church. It's really astounding. Mm -hmm. So um, I realized just through a couple of events that happened, how much work, I guess I didn't, I probably didn't realize how much work they were doing. And I just thought, gosh, there's got to be a way to help them. But it's got to be better than Google Translate. Mm -hmm. I honestly, I just did an internet search and you guys popped up. Oh. And yeah, that's the truth. What did you search for? I searched for sermon translation programs. And also, I think I added in live uh, live translation. We don't okay. do that, but I just thought I would throw it in there. I think that's what I originally translated. And you guys were at the top of the list. Mm, that's good to know. Thank you. <laughs> and I thought I, I pulled the website up and I looked at it and I thought, this cannot be for real. Like this, this is too good to be true. And then my second thought was, there's no way we can afford this because, um, I mean, we're a small church and, you know, our, anyway, that's, we just don't have a big budget over here. So, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, so I sent an email to, uh, you guys and got a reply back like the next day. I was quite shocked actually. And Sure enough, it, it seemed like maybe it was true. I mean, you guys are translating into, what, 60 languages now? We could do 60, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I thought, wow. And so I sent the information to my translation team. And I didn't know how they would respond because I didn't want to hurt their feelings, of course. But I thought, if, if this works, you know, we want to smooth things out as much as possible. So mm-hmm. but they were really excited about it. And then we realized, actually, we kind of, and and I know you know this, and so I'm just going to bring the listeners up to speed, you know, it's actually turned into a little bit of a partnership because um, our, because we're still using our translators to edit the sermons, Mm -hmm. because their desire is to help improve the the ability of your program to translate Mandarin, because it is one of the most difficult languages. Yes. Yep. And so your program has this great ability to remember the way that you translate certain things. And so our translators are even sharpening up their translations now to Mm. make sure that the information we stick into the program gets remembered. So every time we translate a sermon now, actually it gets better and better. Fantastic. Uh, Really exciting for us. So actually their workload over time is going to decrease the better job they do. Mm Mm-hmm. That'll just improve your you guys' product as well, especially in the area of Mandarin. Yep. And then in the last couple of weeks, we've been able to add uh, both Indonesian and Mongolian to our list of translated languages. And we have a couple of those people actually helping us just kind of proofread through the translations. And mm-hmm. the oldest, those translations are actually quite good. They've only had to make a few corrections. So That's great to hear. <laughs> yeah. Boy, wow. Praise God. I'm, uh, I'm actually smiling right now just hearing your story because uh, I didn't even realize uh, how far it's come along in such a short time. Yeah. So I got to say, I mean, we're very pleased. Our people, the learning curve has actually been pretty low for us. I mean, I thought, I thought, oh man, this is going to take everybody a while to kind of, but it's honestly, it's, it hasn't taken that long to get up to speed. Our people like the way that it works and it's pretty, um, it's, we've been able to put together kind of a little, you know, sequence of events that we run through each week of how we stick the information into the program, 
edit the translations, and then get it ready for presentation on Sunday. And people seem to be pretty quick to adopt using their handhelds and uh, reading through the sermon as we go. So it's been Mm -hmm. great. How have you seen it change uh, your worship services? Have you seen people engage more with the sermon uh, or just feeling more connected to each other? Have you noticed anything on that end? I think that for our the Mandarin speakers, the only change was they just had to really, we got rid of our all of our paper, our printed translations. When mm-hmm. we made this change, we said, we're not printing anything anymore. We're going to force everybody to use the digital production. Mm. So that was helpful for us because that was just an extra step in the in the workload of the translation team. Yeah. So that was nice to get rid of that. The other thing that um, I think has helped people is it's very easy for us. We throw that QR code up on the screen right as I'm getting ready to preach, along with some instructions in Mandarin. And I also say it in Mandarin what what we're asking the audience to do. So any visitors who come know. But it. It, the Mongolian speakers and the Indonesian speakers also, it's the same QR code. That's what's great about your program is it doesn't matter which language you're doing. Uh, you just scan the same QR code and then you can choose the language that you want. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's one other thing I, I probably didn't mention either. The English notes are also there because a number of our people, English is their second language, mm. um, which means they are listening to the sermon. Uh, maybe, their, maybe their first language may be like uh, one of the African languages. Mm-hmm. And they speak English pretty well. So they're here, they're studying, whatever. They're, they're able to, to really, they're probably not at a native level, but they're at a near native level, maybe mm-hmm. 80%. So by providing them the English translation as well, which by the way, your program does, is, I mean, all four languages now are generated. Mm-hmm. They're able to fully capture. They listen and they're improving their listening skills, but they're also just able to quickly read what I'm saying as I'm saying it. So that's been a huge help. That is an amazing testimonial. And I I didn't intend for it to be an ad, but I couldn't have asked for anything better. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm just telling you, it's it's been great. We've experimented a little bit with the live translate feature. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at the end of the service, we'll do some announcements. And um, there's always some extemporaneous talking that happens during the service. And so our operator, and we're training a couple of new operators now just to make sure we've got a rotating team there. Good. But... The operator is uh, playing around with using the live. We've got a, a built-in the outpour, output from the soundboard, and we've used the setup that you guys have recommended. And mm-hmm. It works great. I mean, it, it works. Uh, the It's just getting the clicking down right, you know, the, the yeah. separating paragraphs and stuff like that. A little it takes bit of a skill. Yeah, it's like yeah. a little bit like riding a bike. Once you can do it, you can do it, but you got to practice. Anyway, I can't say, I, I mean, I'm not trying to be your spokesman, but I'm telling you for churches that have some kind of multilingual environment, I mean, this is such a big help. Uh, and I'm just thinking of it from, uh, I mean, I grew, uh, to be honest, I grew up in a church that was very monocultural in mm-hmm. the South. Mm-hmm. So I came from a monoculture to a monoculture, basically. Mm-hmm. And now being in a multicultural environment, and also having lived in a place 
for a little while where I couldn't speak the language, where I couldn't understand the culture, I know what it's like to feel like I don't know what's going on here. So to be able to have a tool where somebody can walk into our service and sit down and, you know, pretty much understand what we're saying without being able to understand language, that's, that's an amazing tool. Mm-hmm. And so I can't imagine a church where if you have the resources available to be able to provide something like this, why wouldn't you do this? Yeah, that's powerful. What kind of, um, what was your experience undergoing that, that transformation from uh, being in a monocultural church into leading a multicultural church? What were some of the things that you had to overcome personally or community-wise to be able to do that transition so that this tool is actually really helpful for you? Because I can imagine a lot of pastors might think that maybe that's not my context, maybe that's not my situation, or I'm not ready for it yet. And it would be helpful just to hear more of your transition so that people who are who think it's a great idea, who want that vision, can take some of those next steps. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the first things that had to happen to me was I had to be humbled. Mm. Um, you know, coming from the West, I'm from Texas, so that, that adds another layer to it. Uh, we kind of think we do everything right. <laughs> and that's just a, a West, a very American, honestly, it's a very American way of thinking. Mm. And we think we always have the best idea in the room. And what I've had to learn, what God has taught me but through this experience and is still teaching me is, I don't. I don't always have the best idea in the room. But what I do have is this amazing group of people who see things from so many different viewpoints that together we come up with the, a much better idea, a much better plan than I could have ever imagined. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the way that they, that people from these other cultures see things, they see an aspect that I would have completely missed and actually even hurt people had Mm. I not really paid attention to um, the way that uh, there's, there's a culture, I'm not going to name names because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but there is a culture in the world um, today that because of American influence uh, back in, in some of the wars, this particular culture, if they are generally speaking, I, I can't say everybody, but generally speaking, if this, if a person from this culture is in a meeting or in a room with a person from America, they will always yield to the American. Mm. They've been culturally sensitized, believe that the American is always right. Wow. And I didn't, I didn't, I never knew that. And we have those people in our church. And thankfully, somebody was willing to tell me that. And so now I know whenever I'm around this particular culture, I have to be particularly careful that I'm drawing that person out and asking for their opinion and making sure they know I really do care. Mm -hmm. And I really do want to know what they think. And I'm not just going to walk all over you because you're as important as I am. But it's just in their cultural narrative that Americans are always right and they always have the best ideas. And that's not right. You know, that's not good. Yeah, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. Yeah. So we've got to be honestly being in a multicultural. And and again, listen, 
the the place that I was in before and many places in the world is that you can't have a multicultural church. You know, there's no, again, it's not right or wrong. You just have to be in the culture that you're in. So this is the place that I find myself and I'm very thankful for it. It's taught me a lot of great things, but these are some of the things uh, that I think a lot of pastors around the world are going to have to grow in and uh, become better at and also receive the gospel's help for because the world is becoming a more multicultural place. Yeah, globalization is affecting everybody. And uh, and in some ways, the church could not just mimic its local culture, but we can actually lead the way in showing yeah. hospitality and welcoming people from many cultures um, as a witness for the gospel, that Christ is what brings us together. Yeah. Food. I mean, food is a great example of that. You know, in some cultures, when you sit down to share a meal, the important part of the meal is not really the food or the place or, uh, or you know, uh, making sure that everything's perfect. It's that you take a long time <laughs> to enjoy it. And if you appear to be rushed, if you're like, okay, let's just eat and kind of move on, you're actually thought of to be very rude Oh, because you've not paid attention to each other. So this is a big difference for Western people because actually Western people, we've kind of been culturally sensitized to eat and move on, Yeah, you know, and in other cultures in the world, not just Asia, but in many cultures in the world, food is a shared experience whereby you really develop relationships and you share things over a meal. And we kind of think the important thing is having really beautiful food and, and not every, again, these are generalizations, but we want to have a really beautiful place to eat. You know, we want to make sure everybody's comfortable and then we just want to eat and move on. But for other people, they would just rather sit around and, you know, the food may get cold and whatever. But the important thing is that you're talking and relating to each other. And so growing in your ability to realize your way of doing things is not right or wrong, but it's not always the way you should do things. Yeah. How, how, have you ever had any conflicts where maybe there's a culture that values punctuality and there's another culture that values uh, leisure and the two ever like kind of collide in expectations over something like a meal uh, happening on time or ending on time? Have you ever experienced things like that? We don't really collide over it. I think at our church, we just kind of have adapted to it. Okay. So the Westerners, um, well, I can't, I'm not going to even say that. Some, <laughs> some, people, some people really prefer punctuality. And so we do start our services on time. Mm-hmm. And then over the next 30 minutes, people show up. <laughs> uh-huh. But that's true in a lot of churches. You know, that's not just here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, I, what I have noticed a lot is when we go somewhere to share a meal or uh, have some kind of fellowship, you cannot put an end time on it mm. that people really there. There's a group of people. Um, and honestly, it, it's kind of multicultural. I can't name a culture. Mm-hmm. Some people just really, they're going to stand around and talk and chat and enjoy each other's presence and company for until like the person who's closing the facility comes and pushes them out the door. You know, it's like, you have to leave now. I'm locking this place up. Yep. 
And they're like, oh, we, we have to go? You know, why? why I don't understand. You know, it's like, it's midnight. We have to go home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I come from an Indonesian cultural background, even though I was born in the States and I grew up in an Indonesian church. So it was always very interesting because even though we were in America, um, a lot of the things that you described, I experienced. Like after the service at church, we would hang out for maybe like three hours, just having like food from a potluck basically and just keep talking, talking, talking. Like it just would never end. And it's also funny. It was funny for me to hear sometimes in American churches, people are very concerned about community, about relationship and everything. And I felt like in my Indonesian church, we had the opposite problem where we almost did everything together and spent way too much time together. And <laughs> it was just, it was just like, I want, I craved a little bit more of that independence and freedom and, you know, uh, interacting with other social groups. And so it was, wow. it was just fascinating to, to bring all these different cultural frames together because like you said, like, wow, our perspectives are just so widened. And it also, I found that it helps um, even clarify, you know, the difference between what is really of God's kingdom and what's really of my culture um, so that I don't end right. up prioritizing my culture, thinking that it is the way that things have to be done, like you said, um, yeah. in the kingdom. Yeah. One of the things that we've really had to uh our, our, our leadership team, our pastors have really fought for and we continue to fight for is reminding people it is wonderful we have a multicultural church, but every, all of us, all of our cultures are actually submissive and underneath our one shared culture. We, 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 we have now joined a new culture mm -hmm. and that's Christ's kingdom. Mm -hmm. and so in Christ, we're a new family. We actually get brought into a new culture that we share now mm -hmm. and we can bring some of our cultural distinctives occasionally into the church, but we're not going to be an American church. We're not going to be an African church. We're not going to be a Taiwanese church. Mm -hmm. We're not going to be anybody. Church. We're simply going to do our best to be Christ church and try to reflect. And, and again, we, we're not perfect. We make plenty of mistakes in this area, mm -hmm. but that's if we don't set that bar at the top, then, you know, we will never get there. Mm -hmm. So that's the bar. Yeah. And I'm sure there's so many, uh, that's just an ongoing process. What do you think uh, is distinctive about kind of Christ's kingdom culture and how it is that um, you can intentionally reflect that? That's a great question. I think um, actually it's quite easy to answer. The, the distinctives of Christ's culture are Christ. We, we live like him. Mm. So, um, number one, he preached the gospel, that the message of the kingdom is for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a distinctive of, of our church is that we are a gospel church. We believe that the gospel has meaning today. We're not just a, a love church. We're not just a place where you just come and, oh, it's just a nice loving church. You're going to hear the gospel. Mm -hmm. We're truth and love. Mm -hmm. I think that's a distinctive. I think another distinctive is that you feel um, that what I just talked about before, that there is a new family that is made when you come into the into Christ culture. Mm. Uh, and this family is so unique that actually you can feel closer to your brothers and sisters in Christ than you may feel to your own family of origin. Mm -hmm. I, I think that the relationships that we end up with in the church uh, because of the love that we share and, and the place we're going. We all share a common destination. So we're on mission together. We're going somewhere together. That unites us in this grand narrative that Christ is writing. 
And we can't share that with anybody else. We can bring people into that and that's what we want. Mm -hmm. But once you're in it, then you share it. And so I think that's a distinctive. Mm -hmm. I think another distinctive of the Christ community is service. I think we look at the world and we don't despair. We don't say, wow, this place is just going to pot. Mm -hmm. We we should just all come together and, you know, we'll just hug each other and, and hold on till the end. We look outside at the world and we say, yeah, this place has got some real problems and we are part of the solution. And we move out into the world in hope and we bring the power of the gospel to bear on the social issues of the day. And we do it with hope, knowing that Jesus has the power to help us. And everything's not going to be fixed, but the things that we can, we will, and we do. Mm -hmm. So I I would say um, I could talk for probably a lot longer and you don't need that. So (laughs) no, that's, I think it's great for people to be able to hear that perspective, because I think sometimes a lot of pastors and a lot of churches and a lot of like lay people, even myself, we grow up in a certain church, right? And that church is in a certain culture. And then we begin to just assume that the way things were done in that church is the way that the kingdom of God is. Um, and mm-hmm. so it, sometimes it takes that perspective of having been transplanted, been in a multicultural setting to kind of discern those things, which are actually, you know what, a lot of the things that you did, they're not necessarily bad, but they were cultural. They weren't necessarily mm-hmm. essential to the gospel and to God's kingdom. Right. So sometimes having your perspective, I know you could go on and on. It just helps to kind of clarify, to realize like, yeah, we don't have to do it this way. There's a lot of other possible ways to do it. But these are the things yeah. that if we come around it, if we are that kind of relationally connected in Christ, so we have this intimate relationships with each other, we preach the gospel. Yeah. Um, those are the things that can really give us confidence that we're not being exclusive or we're not, um, you know, we're not creating a separating and dividing line where we shouldn't be. Uh, this is just right. the heart of what Christ wants. And we can from there have freedom to adapt in all kinds of amazing ways. Absolutely. Yeah. So this has been really great to hear from you, both all of your high praise for Spiffio and to hear about your experiences leading uh, Taichung International Fellowship. I really appreciate it. And I think I would just wanted to close with, is there any kind of final word you want to give to encourage other pastors, other church leaders or church members out there who see this dream of having a multicultural church and they just might, you know, they need some encouragement to take those next steps or to persevere in the journey. Anything you'd like to say for them? Yeah, I would. I think... One of the things, I'm 50 years old now, and I did not arrive here overnight, obviously. Uh, when I was 30, I was a much different person. When I was 40, I was a different person again. And so I've, it's a, been a learning process. But if I could give some encouragement to other pastors out there, no matter where you are, if you live in a place where you have other cultures uh, around you that you hope to have some relationship with, Here's what I would say. And honestly, I guess I could say this regardless of if it's a different culture or just a person across the street. It it doesn't matter. This, I think, is one of the great things that I realized about myself personally that changed my, my whole perspective on being able to be a better follower of Christ. I realized that once I became a Christian, I kind of got a group around me of other Christians and everybody, every person, and I'll say this, every church has uh, kind of a capacity. You know, you have a capacity for relationships. Individuals' capacities are rather limited, uh, some more than others. 
And then churches' capacities are also, you can't do everything and you can't do everything well. Mm. So what you have to do, though, if you want to bring new people in, you have to make room. Just like in, in a work or in a, in a working situation, you know, if you want to add new work, there's some old work generally you got to get rid mm-hmm. of. So what I mean by this is uh, just to be very uh, bold and, and blunt about it is some people have so many Christian relationships, they've got no room to bring any, any people outside of Christ into their sphere. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is, we want, we know the commands of Christ to be to take the gospel and to be relational and to uh, bring people in to bring outsiders in, but we don't have any room for them. Mm. We're already too full. We're too full with each other. Mm-hmm. The only way to make room is if I've got ten really close friends and all those friends are really close Christian friends. I don't have room for any other relationships in my life not real relationships, but that's what the gospel is. The gospel is about real relationships. So actually what I have to do is say to, maybe I don't, maybe it's, maybe it's a conversation. Maybe it's not, I don't know. But what I have to do is a few of those friends, they've got to go and become more willing and open to bring new people into their relationships. And that means I get taken out of their circle Mm -hmm. and they get taken out of mine so that I can bring somebody new in. And I think God needs more of us to live that kind of a life where we're, we're, we don't get stuck in a small group of relationships where there's never room for anybody new. Mm. And that means bringing people into your, your home, bringing people into your meals, bringing people into your, your conversations. I mean, that's how we, we develop relationships. But honestly, I just think a lot of us, we're content with, oh, I just want to invite my neighbor to church. But we never actually invite them into our life. Yeah. And that's where the gospel, I think, hits a wall for some people is because they think, well, was I just, did you just want me to come to church so you could kind of feel good about yourself? Yeah. I, I don't, I don't only need the church. I need you. I think this is what a lot of people are saying is they need, they need real, real. And this is what the gospel brings. This is part of the power of the gospel is that. It brings the message of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the love of Christ. All those things are brought through his people. So if, if we're not those kind of people, then I think so. That's what I would say. And that answers the question of how do you become a more multicultural church? Mm-hmm. Or how do you take the monoculture that you live in and bring more people into that? Yeah, that's, that's a great answer. Because I recently was thinking about how you know, our bodies are called the temple of the Holy Spirit. And in some ways, what that means is that everywhere we show up, that's how the presence of God is present there. Uh, mm-hmm. And so with all these relationships, like you were saying, if we don't have, if we're only hanging out with other Christians in a holy huddle, then you're kind of saying mm-hmm. that the the presence of God is not, a, it's not there for everyone, for everyone out in the world in all, every industry, every culture, every place. But when we go out, yeah. um, we just have to show up. We don't have to really be so afraid about what to say or what to do. If Christ is in us, then showing up is how Christ shows up there and interacts with other people. Uh, But it is a mindset shift to kind of leave our comfortable circles of friendships and choose to make space, like you said, uh, for people from who are different than us. Yep. 
Yeah. You're right. This is great. Uh, I've really enjoyed this time uh, talking with you, Todd. And thank you so much for joining us. And everyone who's listening, if they want to get in touch with you and learn from what Taichung is doing, is there a way they can uh, reach you? Sure. I'm pretty. I'm a pretty public person uh, here in Taichung. So you can find me on Facebook. It's just Todd Blackhurst. And uh, I have the information about Taichung International Fellowship there. You can find us on the internet. Uh, at Taichung International Fellowship. If you just search for that, T-A-I-C-H-U-N-G is the way you spell Taichung. And I'm on Instagram too. My full name, all one word, T-O-D-D-B-L-A-C-K-H-U-R-S-T. I'd love to hear from you and I'd be happy to connect. And I'm certainly no expert, but uh, together, God can use us to do some great things. Fantastic. And if everyone is, if anyone is interested in uh, using Spiffio to provide translation and to reach out to your multicultural neighborhood, uh, you can learn more at spf.io. It's spf.io. And thank you, Pastor Todd. Look forward to connecting again in the future. Absolutely. 